you guys were talking about uh, new media, and obviously that was part of the WGA strike that just happened, and we've also had uh, your first, after your first season, you guys did web uh, web webisodes. Do you think that's going to become, you guys think that's going to become more popular? Um, I don't know if this is Bruce talking. I don't know if it could become more popular. Um, it really is an adjunct to the to the show. The show really drives those kind of webisodes. And I think things that originally appeared on the internet um, tend to have a very small audience without some kind of show on a network or with a broader audience driving people to watch those things. Uh, so yeah, we're going to continue to do it. It's a lot of fun. It's a great way to tell more stories. Um, but uh, it's, you know, it's just something that we do along with this. I don't think it's going to become so popular that it replaces or is kind of on an equal footing with uh, the show that's on television. Yeah, also this, the current, the, the latest season of Eureka is up on Hulu.com where people can watch it for free. Are you guys there? Sorry. Um, the current, the, the second season of Eureka, most of it is up on uh, on uh, Hulu.com, where people can watch it for free. Do you know? Are you getting any sense of if it's getting a lot of traffic there? It's funny. There's an article, I guess, in last week's Entertainment Weekly. This is Eric Wallace talking, and um, I, I wasn't familiar with Hulu very much, but I guess they have all these shows on for free. And, and while in one sense we're very happy to spread the show to other people to get as get many new eyeballs as we can. On the other hand, obviously, we all were just on strike over this very thing, which is new media. And, you know, when you watch Eureka on iTunes, or when it was on iTunes, it's enough, I don't think it is anymore, no. I'm not sure. I'm taking it off. Yeah. Uh, when it was, profit was being made, and even though it was small, a certain percentage of that did make its way down to us. With Hulu.com, it's free, and while I'm very happy that folks are, are watching the show, I'm a little concerned about the revenue streams. I'm sure there's going to be advertising sooner or later on Hulu.com. There is and now. That, oh, okay, well, there is now. That, yeah. means, that means we're not seeing a cent, and whoever owns Hulu, I don't know if that's NBC or Universal Media, but they're making free money off us. So right. are we happy about that? Of course not. Right. But can we do much about it at the moment? I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> All right now, I think it's not until the third year that you're going to actually start to see any residuals from your stuff on if it's online, right? Exactly. It's really the third year of of a show, which for us we're now in our third season. So in theory, under our new contract, we should start to see something. Oh, uh, we're looking you know what? Our, yeah, yeah. Our, Eric's got a question for you. Yeah, this is from Eric Abraham. He says, I'm in the stages for a pilot right now, and I was curious about your methods of fleshing out character development or plot lines for self-contained episodes. Hey, Bruce, want to answer that? Uh, well, writing a pilot and writing an episode of an existing show are very, very different processes. But um, the... On our show, we have multiple storylines. We're usually following more than one storyline. So one story doesn't really have to carry out through the whole episode. What we end up doing is figuring out a story that has five really interesting 
moments that you want to see on television, five really dramatic turns, you say, okay, these are those five things. We actually put them on index cards, each one of them. And then for all the stories, some of them have eight cards, some of them have three cards, and then you just put them up on a, a bulletin board in terms of looking at one right now, uh, and there's a little row for teaser, for act one, two, three, and four. You peel them out as they would happen in the story. And there's a lot of different parameters. Some things have to take place one day, and then the next beat has to take place the next day, so you know that those two things can't happen next to each other. Um, but when you do stories, the best way to do is figure out them one story at a time. I'm sorry, it's hard to talk because there's so many echoes here, but trying to figure it out one story at a time and not trying to figure out how they all weave together. You do that at the end. You just figure them out one story at a time. And in terms of character development, character development happens at every stage. You try to think of stories that develop your character. Then as you break those stories and understand the steps of those stories, the characters should, those stories should happen in a way that both affects the characters and happen in a way that the character, you know, if the character's making decisions in that story, that should reflect their personality. And then, of course, a lot of it happens before you're, after you're outlining, but while you're writing the script, a lot of a character comes to life just from the way that they approach each moment of their lives as opposed to the big story turn. Uh, but the question you asked is the question we ask ourselves every single day, and I've been asking myself for 22 years that I've been writing, so uh, you're not going to find a good answer. You're just going to find ways to get a little better at it. Let me ask you guys, because I mean, Eureka obviously started first as a pilot. How did Eureka, how was Eureka born? If you could share that with us a little bit. I tell you what, um, it's a great question, but we want Jamie to be able to answer that, and he's still about ah. 10 more minutes away. Can we hold off on that and come back to that question so you can get a great answer from him? Absolutely. Uh, Carol's oh. going to go next. She's uh, typing her question right now. Oh, not Carol. Jesus. <laughs> In the meantime, I know there's one question on everybody's mind, because these students are working really hard. They're writing their spec scripts. In some case, they're doing their second and their third. How did you guys break in? What kind of advice can you give to these students as they're honing their scripts down to be perfect as possible in order to break in? Um, this is Nick Waters talking. Um, you know, I think there's many ways of going about it. There's no magic formula for it. Um, you know, I think being out here is definitely um, a big plus. Uh, trying to meet as many people as you can, just, you know, talking to people, meeting more and more people. But in the meantime, keep writing. Um, you know, you get better and better as, as you keep doing it. Um, so I think just keep trying to keep writing is really the most important thing. And, uh, and, and try and you know, meet people, make contacts out here. Now, you guys wrote spec scripts. Did you submit them to agents or competitions or...? Yeah, in, in, in my case, I actually started with uh, actually made short films, and one of them, I won some uh, festivals, and that's how I got my first agent, and that got me my first uh, script, my first assignment on on Medium, uh, and that's how I started. Great, great. Carol's got a question for you guys. Okay, Carol says, you seem to be working on four episodes at a time of 
according to your blog, from rewriting to one starting with cards, correct? Tell us more about the process. Thanks. Love the show. Uh, thank you for watching. Okay. We seem to be working on four episodes at a time. Well, uh, that's actually true. Um, basically, what will happen is you start working on number one, and you come up with the idea, you develop it. Someone goes away and writes an outline. At that point, the rest of the room starts working on number two and so forth. So, yeah, you get to a point in the season where you could be working on four, maybe five, even more stories. Um, and it's, it's the reason why you have such a large staff. We, we have seven writers here because there is so much to juggle. And when somebody is away writing a script or an outline, you might have three people gone at one time, and you need the other four to keep the room going, keep the creativity going, uh, to write the card, literally, you know, um, to talk about what the characters are doing in a particular episode and to maintain continuity. It can get a little confusing sometimes. Nobody's perfect. Um, sometimes someone will be writing, for example, uh, 303, which uh, Bruce is writing, and they'll come in and go, wait a minute. Oh, and I, I yeah, remind me to explain why it's called 303 in a second. Uh, but Bruce will be writing 303, and he'll come in from writing the script or the outline and say, what happens to Stark in 302? I, I can't remember. Is he dead? Is he alive? Did he say yes to the marriage proposal? Did he say no? And then four people will shout out, dude, it's this. <laughs> and then I'll go, thank you. And he'll, he'll, he can go away and, and, and continue on in the process. Uh, the, the thing to remember, it seems like a big mystery about how we break stories, but it, 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 if you, if the group of you got together and went to a bar and said, hey, this is what I really see happen on ER or Medium or on, uh, on, on Eureka, that's exactly what we do. It's no different than that. The only difference is we're good at it. And, well, and also, when we come up with an idea, it's actually on television. And uh, so the... It's just the same process as anybody else kind of throwing ideas around. But once we throw an idea around, we spend a lot of time breaking that idea into actual episodes. You guys, or anybody who throws around ideas afterwards, you know, goes home and goes to sleep. We actually have to keep working on it. So there's a little more weight on the ideas that we throw around. But the process is not so much of a mystery. It's pretty much the same way everybody talks about television or about movies. You know, when you walk out of a movie, that movie had a terrible ending. I wish it ended this way. That's what we do. Are you guys going? I, I saw on your Eureka Unscripted Facebook, I think, or one of your blogs, that you're going to go back more to the style of the first season where it was sort of a, a uh, I don't want to say Monster of the Week, but sort of like Monster of the Week, but on it turned on its head. Are you going to be moving back more to that style? Well, tune in and find out. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't no, worry about seriously. that. <laughs> <laughs> seriously. Um, season one was just finding our feet, so there was a lot of standalone episodes. There was a there was what you would refer to as standalone or monster of the week, and it was much uh, lighter, I think. Season two, we we'd like to think that the show grew up a little bit, that the characters got a little deeper, that uh, we took some creative risks, uh, some we feel paid off really well, others perhaps not, but, but overall we're very happy with that. Unfortunately, 
perhaps it may have gotten a little darker, and it was clearly far more serialized. Um, not as serialized as, say, Lost or Battlestar Galactica, two shows, by the way, that we all love and watch religiously out here. Cause don't forget, we're fans of television, too. We, we watch quite a lot of it whenever we're not working. But um, for season three, you will see, I think, a happy medium. We have a, a story arc that that will launch season three that's rather connected, but it's a short arc. And then we'll get to standalone, or as you refer to it, Monsters of the Week. Um, in fact, uh, you might actually see a monster. Who knows? Or the hint of a monster somewhere around the middle of the season. So uh, there's your spoiler alert. Uh-oh, Bigfoot. It is the Pacific Northwest. That would fit. Um, next question is going to go to Matt, since I... Borrowed his question. Are there any special problems that you seem to encounter while you are writing science fiction? How do you deal with these problems, and do you have any suggestions for avoiding them? Good question. Well, um, this is Bruce. I think the biggest problem I encounter writing science fiction is when it stops being science fiction and starts being fantasy. And that is always the line that you tread. Um, science fiction, or the best science fiction, is kind of an extrapolation from science. Uh, you look at something that, that's happening now and you say, if that technology moves forward, if that technology moves 75 years forward, what could happen? And when it's fantasy is when you say, this is impossible now, but I'm just going to imagine that it could just, someone could snap their fingers and it could happen. So treading that line is difficult. Um, one of the special problems, though, or challenges of writing science fiction is all the research. And... The key to that is really don't ignore it. Throw yourself into it. We all, um, all of us, look at websites, read magazines, do that kind of stuff. And what you really want to do is look at it from the point of view, not of a scientist, but of what's fun. What would be fun to see? What what satisfies the fantasy part of my body, but it's still based on science? Which is, you know, you. I mean, I have I have three kids, and when when I know that I can pitch it to my 11 year old son, and he goes, "That's really cool." then I know that I've hit on something that I know is extrapolated from science, but is really fun to watch. And that, when you're in the world of science fiction, you're kind of balancing the science and the fiction, but also, more importantly, the entertainment. you got to make sure you're considering all three of those things at the same time. How do you struggle with uh, keeping the techno babble down? Um, that's a good question again. Um, Techno babble usually comes in the early drafts of a script. It's as Bruce just said, you're doing incredible amounts of research. You want to be as accurate as possible, and you write that first draft. Uh, the first draft, and you've got all this really long-winded, technical garbledygook, essentially. And what I've seen happen on the show, as we get closer to the actual shootable draft, where actors actually have to speak this dialogue, that stuff really gets pared down. But you have to know it. It's like Bruce said, know your research. Um, really know the topic well. Read everything you can. You know, Google, whatever, Wikipedia, read books, go to libraries. And then write your script, leave it in there, and as people read your work and they go, dude, I got to the end, and when you explained how time went backwards and was a paradox, I, I didn't care. I, I, I lost the character. I lost the emotion. That's when you know you want to pair back on the techno babble. Okay. 
Um, Lindsay's got the next question for you, if you can see it on the screen. Uh, Lindsay's question is, I noticed that you all come from producing production-type backgrounds. I was just wondering how you made the transition into writing. Is it terribly difficult or just a natural progression? And was writing really what you always wanted to do? Um, that is actually uh, what the problem is, is that our titles have producers. We're all writers. Um, that's where we all come from. That's what we all do. In television, you start out as uh, what Eric and Nick are, which are staff writers. And as you move up and as you get on more shows and move up and get more experience, you acquire the producer title and you get producer responsibilities until you become an executive producer, which is the person who is in charge of the whole show. But we don't, it's exactly the opposite of what the question implies. We don't come from producing. We're all writers, and along the way, we acquire the skills we need to produce a show. Um, but, uh, but we're writers first and foremost. Um, I just wanted to go back, um, Diana, if I could, and answer a question about breaking into the business. Please do. That's the biggest thing to help these guys. Thank you. Okay, the thing, the most important thing is that breaking into the business is the easiest part of this. The writing is the hard part. And so if you work on the right, breaking in is literally one moment of your life you'll break in. But if you break in and you can't write, you'll be out so fast you won't know what happens. So all the, the most important thing is worry about writing, worry about being a good writer. It's, it's so much easier to sit around and ask questions about how to get a good, how to agent, how to break into the business. But all the things about the business of television are so much easier to learn. You can learn them all in two days. Writing will take you your whole life to get good at. I've been doing it, I've been doing it for 20 years and I suck. So it, the, the writing is the thing that you should focus on. And I, in my entire career, everybody thinks there's piles of brilliant scripts out there, and if those people could just break into the business, then uh, they would succeed in breaking it. It's a difficult thing. I've read for contests. I've taught uh, classes like this one at UCLA, brilliant things like that. There are not piles of great scripts sitting out there. When a great script comes in any of those situations, those people... But I read about the performance that they have a job on a show and then and they are working. So work on skills and you already know enough about the business to none of that will be a problem. As of today, stop worrying about the business. Funny though, because you brought something up that I tell the students often when they're struggling with writer's block and that's the whole thing about sucking and not being afraid to suck just as long as they keep writing. How do you guys fight writer's block? Um, this is Nick. Um, you know, sometimes it just, for me at least, sometimes I step away for a bit and sometimes you just stare at the page for hours and hours and I learn early on that that really doesn't have to do. So it really, it just, for me, I just walk away, try and, and do something that's not related to the script at all and hopefully come back later and, and things flow back. Um, that's one way, that's the way I do it. That's incredibly good advice from Nick. Um, the, the thing I learned probably too late in my career is that you do your worst writing when you're sitting at the typewriter. That's a terrible place to write. I mean, no one can come up with any good ideas. So try to put yourself in a position where you naturally come up with good ideas, whether that's pacing around your kitchen or eating or working in your yard or whatever. But to sit 
there in front of that computer screen is just paralyzing. So uh, you you should only sit down when you're actually going to type something, but that's not a place to write. Take a pad and go sit out on the grass or do anything to keep yourself from that situation of sitting there typing. The other bad thing about typing is that when you type it into the computer, especially with all those programs like Final Draft, it looks like a script. So it's very hard to judge whether it's good or bad because it looks good. It looks real. So what you want to do is work on it in your head, work on it on a piece of paper with pen and paper, do something so that you can judge whether it's good and then type it later when you when you uh, when you've already figured out whether it's good. So it's like when you're typing it's like vomiting it up out of onto the page, in other words, as I like to tell these guys. Oh, you can say that. Yeah, I, I, I'm a writer as well, so I understand. Jackson has a good question since these are students about. Uh, whether a degree is important in pursuing a career and if they should be going into graduate school and how much that helps or doesn't help? Well, a degree is is only important in what you can learn from going through that process. Uh, you know, no one checks your degree when you, when you, you know, apply for a job. That's not how it works here. Um, I was on ER for years, and every person I worked with, uh, they were, out of the five or six people I worked with, Four of them had never been to college, so uh, much less uh, graduate school. So um, the way to assess whether you want to go to graduate school is to think: Can I, can my writing benefit from going to the, going to this graduate program? That's the only judge that you should make. You should make that judgment about all your experiences. If you want to be a writer, will will this professional experience make me a better writer or not? Good, yeah, good. That, that I'll add something, if I can, this is Eric. Um, something that school, I think, does really well is create a peer group for you. Um, writing, like you said, it sucks. Uh, it's lonely. It can be depressing. It can be hard. It can be work. Um, the one thing that I got most and, and continue to get from school-related experiences is the peer group, the support network. Those are the people that when you do have the writer's block or when you do have a draft that you know isn't up to snuff, you can go to people with the same mentality, with the same experiences. Once you meet those people in graduate school or in an undergrad, I have, I have a uh, undergraduate degree myself and I studied screenwriting at the University of Texas and I went to film school and all that jazz. And the, the, but the best thing I got out of it, it's like Bruce said, it wasn't really the actual writing courses, although those were important to learn format and whatnot, it was learning from other people who had good habits, good writing habits, who sat down and, oh, I write every morning for 90 minutes before I go to classes. And I went, wow, that's why you're so productive. I should do that. <laughs> I, I met people who, when I got on, got on myself for a draft being bad or something, that helped pull me up, give me a little confidence. Um, that will continue when you come to L.A. and get in the industry. It's, again, it's, you know all the things you know now. You might need a little uh, heads up or a little advice and whatnot. That, that gets into a whole other area about relationships. I know Bruce said it, and he put the Bruce about the writing is first. He's that right. Sadly, you, you do have to have, you have to have what I would call mentor figures. I think those are important. 
to to get you to where you kind of need to be because no one can have a writing career in television built by themselves. No one writes a script and it's brilliant and the whole world goes, wow, that, that's so fantastic that uh, I'm going to hire you uh, for this Oscar-winning production. No, um, you can write the greatest script of all time and it sits in your closet and nobody sees it. Um, that's why you have to be proactive and get out, seek out professionals, seek out mentor figures this. I want to be better. I have been writing my behind off. Read me. Because what will happen is people who are way better than you, uh, for example, Bruce sitting here is, is a mentor figure. I think I can speak to Nick. Is a mentor figure on this show to me and Nick. And we only hope we can be as good of a writer he is in 10 years. Bruce is laughing now and, and blushing. It's true. You don't suck. Uh, <laughs> that, that's a very important part of the process. Thank you very much. I think we got a question now from Tim when you're just starting out. How do you find adequate writers if, for instance, you don't go on to grad school and do that networking? Or, for instance, if you, for these students, if they leave their fellow writers behind here in Missouri and move out to L.A., finding strong enough fellow writers to critique their material. He also would like Colin Ferguson to go to his house, but that's after he comes to mind. Yes, send us, send us the address. And... Uh and a good time for Colin to come over, and uh, we'll arrange that. And uh, your mom, he likes macaroni and cheese. I just made that up. I have no idea. Uh, seriously, though, no. um, that that's something you have to be concerned about. I find about every two years, if I'm doing my job right, I will outgrow the writing peers that I have who are critiquing purposefully get better each time. I'm, I'm trying to do, and I'm a little mercenary. I'm the mercenary one here, I guess. <laughs> um, I will try to find people who are better and better so that I can get better and better in critique so that I can literally be a better writer. If you, if you get into a writer's group, as I highly recommend you do, especially if you're not in school um, or you, you don't go to a film writing school at all and you come out to L.A. and you've got your scripts and you need to meet some folks. You put up an ad in numerous places, in uh, magazines, and the Penny Saver, or whatever it is, your local newspaper. And you find people, you form a writer's group, and you start to critique each other, and you start bouncing ideas, and you start to learn the rhythm of writing through listening to other writers say your own words back to you, which is very important. And then again, you may come to a point where you, you may find that the criticism of those people isn't good. Well, you have to move on. You, that's when you seek out a professional. Uh, call us. You know where we're at. We're here in L.A. <laughs> uh, but that's a very important part of the process. I think Bruce was that. It, it is difficult to find a group, um, especially when you're not from Los Angeles and you haven't moved out of the group. Uh, the best way I, the way I recommend is uh, the American Film Institute, UCLA Extension, um, uh, Pepperdine, Royal, a lot of them offer courses that you know, are in the evening and are not very expensive in in television writing and screenwriting. And I've taught those classes and without exception. Every time I've taught a class, those people have formed a writer's group. So that's a good way to start getting a group of peers. And those classes are you know, somewhere around a couple of hundred dollars, but they are incredibly helpful and they're also a great way to kind of get your feet wet. But, you know, um, writers groups, uh, they help, uh, I mean, 
in my writers group, I met my wife in my writers group, and three other people got married from my writers group, so I can heartily endorse it. Actually, I don't know if I'm, it's uh, Nick, and I have a question for Bruce. Actually, the class that you choose, uh, do they have online components, or the classes that you take online? Can you answer this with anything in Apple? I don't know. Say yes. Actually, I'll answer Using Apple, yes, they do have online components. For example, um, I UCLA Extension online. I'm I'm on a show right now. I'm taking an online class as we speak. You know, I I, I never try to stop the learning process. I think that's very important. And online classes are great if you want to attend a class at night. Obviously, that's that's great too. But they're again great places to meet people of like mind. Of like ambition, if you're if you're of that ilk too, and the support network. Great, thanks. We have a new question from Tristan. What's it like to work in a writer's room? Teamwork's important, but do you struggle with putting your ideas into another person's hands? Good question. Uh, I'll say uh, I don't struggle with putting my ideas in other people's hands because even if I come up with a great idea, there's six or seven other people in this room that can take my you know, pretty good idea and elevate it to a whole nother level. Make it excellent. That's that's the that's the teamwork element. I think it's the best part of the writing experience uh, when you're writing on a television show. You're not writing alone. You can come up with an idea and you pitch it in the writer's room and you know the showrunner uh, is Charlie Craig. He's really great at taking that little kernel and expanding on it. No, he does not stop at the ground, Bruce. <laughs> um, Jamie, same thing, the co-creator of the show. He knows the characters inside and out. He knows so well what makes a Eureka story and what doesn't. So when uh, someone like myself or our supervising producer, Curtis Keel, who's new this season, who's a brilliant writer but perhaps might not know the show as well, but Curtis will draw a great idea. You want to have the other seven people in the room be able to embellish it, to run with it make it really, really, really rock solid so that when you go away and write your outline, you've got something that's really going to hold together. So it's about trust and collaboration. Um, and I, I was going to add to Nick that it, it's really a group effort and you just have to really be willing to put your ideas out there and just know that in the end it's for what you want is the best show, the best episode possible, and we're all working together as a team to get that. Right. One more thing about working in the writer's room. Uh, uh, working in a writer's room is such a particular skill in television and to hour-long drama. Uh, sitcoms have a different kind of writer's room. They don't really work on stories together. They more work on jokes. But it is uh, it's a learned skill. You have to do it for a long time. You get better at it. Every group of writers has a different dynamic. Um, but the skill that I think is most important is what it's like to work in a writer's room is to learn how to listen. Learn how to listen to other people's ideas very, very carefully, really understand what that idea is, why they think it's good, what they're passionate about, and also listen to people and understand what their problems are with the script so that when you bring up ideas, those ideas fill a need. You're not just throwing out ideas, but you're saying, you know, at this point in the story where this character is doing this thing, this particular action would be interesting and entertaining. So the most important skill you can bring to the writer's room 
is the ability to um, actively listen, to listen very, very carefully to other writers. Any chance you guys will put up some podcasts from the writer's room like Ron D. Moore has done from Battlestar Galactica? Uh, that's probably a Jamie question. Uh, Ron Moore, Galactica. Oh. <laughs> um, that's a very good question. I know we, we did a whole bunch of them last year. We've actually been recording. Uh, I don't know if you guys have looked at our blog lately, but we put up a blog uh, entry today about recording audio commentaries for the Season 2 DVD. We haven't really done any podcasts, per se, yet. Um, I don't know if we will. It's something I know we'd like to do. Um, it remains to be seen. We'll, we'll throw up the kitty and uh, see what happens. Um, I see a question from Samantha. Yes, Steve. Samantha's got a question. Uh, pitching a, a series, an original series, is a... That's a whole other series of phone calls, let me tell you. It's a huge, huge process. Um, but uh, let me answer the second question first, which is how far in advance do you start planning your season arcs for the season? Um, those are the original conversations that you have. We met Eric how long before the season? Uh, four weeks ago. Oh, yeah, four weeks before now. And we just start. You just start talking about things that you think might be interesting to take place over the season, and some things come together really as you're writing things you think are interesting. So you do a lot of planning beforehand. So I would say, um, uh, you know, you're doing really, really well if 30% of that stuff ends up being in the season. But in terms of pitching series, there are as many different ways to pitch series as there are writers and as there are executives listening to those pitches. Um, but what you have to remember is that no one wants to buy a series unless it can last you know, six, seven years, because what happens is if you happen to sell a pilot and you happen to write it and you happen to get it on television, it happens to become a hit. If it also falls apart and runs out of stories after five or six episodes, you're a moron. Because if you happen to hit that kind of home run, you want to be able to ride that show forever. Um, you know, you want a show that can go for a very, very long time. Um, so when you, when I pitch a I usually pitch the pilot in great detail, and then I pitch five or six storylines in paragraph form. But if I can't come up with 200 ideas for episodes, I don't go in and pitch the pilot at all. Okay. Um, next question. How does audience feedback affect the writing of the show, and who's your favorite Eureka character to write for and why? Good questions. Uh, great question. All right. Um, I'll take this. This is Eric. Um, well, uh, as far as audience feedback affecting the show, you know, we got to, it's, it's funny you should ask that. At the beginning of season three, which again is, is right now that's happening, we got audience research from Sci-Fi Network that had been done on season two, and it had questions and answers on it. Things like, well, the most popular character on your series after Sheriff Carter is Henry. You should have more episodes with Henry in that. 72.3 people say we'd like more Henry Carter stories. So you look at that and go, all right, I got to write more Henry, but I like writing Henry's so It's not a big deal. But we, we had a surprise on there, which was the third most popular character, according to this research, and again, it's taken for what it is, 
was Deputy Lupo, was Joe. Um, I love Joe. I, she's arguably, if not my favorite character on the show, uh, certainly second for me after Sheriff Carter. I, I want to expand her as much as possible, so I get excited about writing scenes with her. Um, I think we, there's a lot of untapped potential for there. For, for example, in season two, uh, episode 206, and we never explained why we call, you guys may know this, uh, forgive me if you already do, uh, three numbers. The first number refers to what season it is. The second two numbers refer to the what episode it is in the order. So if it's 206 means season two, the sixth episode of season six. Anyways, uh, of season two, sorry. So anyways, 206 was uh, Noche de Sueños, in which uh, it's the dream episode. Uh, some of you hopefully are familiar with it. There's some really small moments in there with Joe about you can find out she's a ballet dancer. That was some of the, the most exciting stuff to write in that kind of an episode. Oh, someone wrote a great episode. Thank you, Diana. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to take the credit, but that was Jamie. <laughs> um, and our co-executive, our promoted executive producer, Bonnie St. John, is waving hello to all of you and goodbye and thank, thank you for watching. She's got to go uh, uh, visit her daughter. <laughs> Oh, she's, she's going to her mother's 70th birthday. Wow. Oh, happy birthday. Yes, happy okay. birthday from Missouri. Uh, uh, happy birthday from Missouri. Anyways, um, it's the little moments like that of exploring character that, that I personally love. And that, that was actually a, a day in the room when we were talking about that episode where I kind of chimed in and, and really went, well, what if she's a ballerina? Yeah, some people give you that word look like, Eric, what are, you, what are you doing? And then some people go, that might not be bad. And then uh, a, literally an hour-long discussion will follow. Well, what if Joe was a ballerina? What does that mean? What was Joe's past like? Well, then Jamie, who's created the character, says, well, she's got three brothers. and She has a dad. Her mother is dead. She grew up in a male household, so she had to suppress her feminine qualities. That's why she sneaks fashion magazines in the drawer like in, like in 207, uh, you know, family reunion. That's why she wants the ballet shoes why they're so important to her. So it's, it is stuff like that. It's all intertwined. And I guess that's my long-winded answer to say that I like writing Joe the most. And here's Jamie. I'm going to throw him on Jamie. Who is your favorite character to write for and why? <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, Jamie. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, uh, sir. I was just getting some notes from everybody here. I'm going to try to get this script out of the studio here in a few minutes. So, who is my favorite character to write for? Indeed. Um, you know, I'm sure Colin will be mad if I don't say it's him. But um, you know, there's uh, I really, I really do enjoy writing for Fargo. There's, 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 there's such a, a sort of sweet innocence about him and his uh, a tendency to always push the wrong button. It's a, it's an easy go-to character in, in almost any scene. Um, but you know, in general, I, I just I, I, I like I like you know I like Carter. He's you know he's he's the, the you know he's, he has more of my humor. Uh, you know that's I think my voice in, in the show is probably strongest for that character. Um, uh, so like yeah, I guess I'd have to say it. Audience feedback affect my writing. Well, 
And keep in mind, um, Jamie, not just focus groups, but also I, I'm sure you guys go online to like televisionwithoutpity.com and all the other places, so you're getting the random stuff as well as the organized stuff. How does I, that affect you? I have, to, I have to tell you honestly, I, uh, Eric and the rest of the crew, I think, do that. Uh, I, I don't. So I, I've, been try, I've tried to kind of insulate a, a little bit from... Because uh, you know it's 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 very it's it's easy to start doubting if you start listening to too many outside opinions, right. um, and sometimes the people that are expressing their opinions are uh, are very vocal and very passionate about it, and, and it makes you want to really consider that. Um, it's not that I don't care what the audience thinks, but obviously I do. I, I when I hear from the gang that they've been checking out websites and, you know, there's a particular story that or a character that people seem to be responding well to. I can't say that it affects me. I'm sure that it does. But um, I'm not I'm not a lurker. I'm not someone who's um, at going after every episode online to check and see what the responses are. Jamie, if we could backpedal since we have you on now, since you were created this series, can you talk a little bit about how it was conceived. I've read that it started out first. You were trying to create a uh, animation series. Well, kind of. What happened was um, my, my partner that I co-created the show with, Andrew Cosby, um, who was more of a comic book geek, sci-fi geek, um, he and I had written a couple of movies together um, for Kiva Goldson and Mark Hansen, and then we did another one based on this films. And he had gotten a, another TV series called Haunted, um, that he co-created with a, uh, another uh, producer, picked up uh, Rick Ramage, uh, and we um, we were going to do another movie that script that summer. He and I had not done any television. Um, I hadn't even written. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a normal, uh, probably an example of uh, somebody who has managed to climb up the ranks of the television world and now finally has his own show. I got really, really lucky. Um, we. Had lunch one day and said, "Well, we were going to write a spec script, a feature film that summer, and said, well, maybe we should do a TV series." And he said, "Well, what would you do if you wanted to do television?" And I said, "Well, you know, I, I would do Northern Exposure. Uh, grew up in a small town in the Northwest. Um, I like I like writing the quirky characters, eccentric uh, characters, and." I, you know, give me two people in a room. I can often write them talking all day long. And Andy is definitely more, I think, of the, the again, the sci-fi geek. And, you know, between the two of us over that lunch, we, we started pulling out all these old ideas that we had for various feature films or television shows or whatever. And one of them happened to be uh, this uh, idea that was um, basically a half-hour animated show it would be a Homer Simpson kind of dad who's like Lisa Simpson kind of daughter uh, tested so high that the government said, hey, listen, we want a movie to this town where she can be among people that are like her. And that was really all that there was to the concept. But I, I kind of sparked to it and said, well, what if we took that and we just, we, we made it real. We made it live action, do it as an hour and make it sort of, uh, you know, the same kind of tone, but put a little more comedy like Northern Exposure. Um, but we add that sort of X-Files element into it. Um, and, and Andy was definitely like, that, X-Files, Twilight Zone, uh, Twin Peaks, you know, were 
in his wheelhouse and shows that I loved also. So, you know, it was sort of, I think, a very uh, nice, balanced blend of our particular sensibilities. And literally over one lunch that day, we came up with the whole concept of a uh, U.S. Marshal driving to the Pacific Northwest crashes in this very strange town and gets pulled into a mystery. By the end of that episode, he saves the day and gets hired to be the town chair. So that was uh, that was it. We have a question from one of the students in regards to pressure you might get from net network executives to change certain things they may not like. How much sway do you have? Do you feel they have of your final product? Are you in a comfortable situation where they're I mean, the show has been a big success on on uh, on air. So are they letting yeah. you basically go and do your no. own thing? <laughs> no, they don't. I wish I could say that they do. Uh, you know, Mark and Tony over at the network are uh, very, very passionate about our show. And we're grateful for that because their support means a whole lot. Uh, but it, it, they definitely have strong opinions. And there are times when we just completely disagree. I think we're fortunate in that most of the time, unlike I think the experience of a lot of showrunners, uh, they do have very good notes. They do have ideas that if they're not the right idea, um, the tension behind it is something that we need to, to look at. Um, there are other times though that we have just completely disagreed about something and had to either force it uh, one way or the other or throw it away and start over because neither of us would bend. But that doesn't happen very often. Uh, it's been a struggle, actually, even on, on the season premiere this time around, though. We, been, we were in the middle of a process where uh, a concept that um, I was very committed to uh, and had started to write had been approved and we'd written an outline. Um, we, we got... Uh, just about going to script phase, and then they changed their minds about it being the music premiere. Um, and they had a reasonable point in why it was a problematic uh, concept for this music premiere. It would be tricky. I would have definitely gone for it regardless. And this unfortunately put us in the position of having to come up with a brand new A story, um, a very short uh, timeline to make our, our writing deadline. So this has been, you know, two weeks of everybody being sort of around the clock trying to fix this and me writing the script now. So, you know, ultimately it's going to be a really fun season premiere. Um, we, everybody just luckily responded very positively to the first draft. I gave it a few minutes ago. They just finished reading it. Um, it still has uh, a ways to go. But, uh, yep, there's definitely always compromise when you're dealing with the network. Um, as the executive producer of the series, do, does every script eventually get onto your computer and get tweaked for dialogue or for the arcs, or how does the rewrite process work? Um, I am the last typewriter on every script, and that, you know, I, I think it presents, um, I, I always, I, I feel bad for all of, you know, the guys on our staff <laughs> and women on our staff because they're all really talented writers. And, um, at some point, uh, they do have they, they, they do give it up to me, and uh, I, I, I think that I would understand that that must be you know uh, a hard thing to do. Um, but that that is the dynamic on our show, and uh, you know, so far we're we all still like each other and work very well together, and uh, I don't think they resent me too much for it. So. 
Now, you guys are down in L.A. I'm looking at Lindsay's question here, and I know a little bit more than Lindsay does in asking it. You guys are in L.A. The shooting is done up in uh, outside of Vancouver, correct? Um, right, right. It's in, in, we're at Vancouver Film Studios. So That's how, much, is, how much of a synergy goes on between the writers and the crew and the directors and the cast up, in, uh, up north in regards to what shows up in the final product? Uh, a lot. I mean, especially, you know, the, the rewrite process continues literally through post-production, if you think about it, because you're always going to be re... Uh, you're, you're editing things differently. Um, you're adding lines, uh, ADR lines, additional dialogue lines um, after the fact. But, you know, during production, uh, you know, the, the last drafts that I end up rewriting are the production drafts. You know, after I've gone through... Um, you know, our writers have gone through their drafts, and they finally have handed it off to me, and I, I'm doing notes that uh, the network has. Then we get production notes from our producer, Robert Petrovich, who has to look at the, the realities of physically shooting this. So we are looking at sets. Can we get a set? No, we don't have that set. Can we get, uh, can we get this car? No, maybe we don't do that as a tow shot now. Uh, we don't have the money for that, so let's go put it, uh, you know, in uh, a cafe instead, or let's find a location to shoot it. So those are all considerations that are, you know, having to be made as you're doing the prep for the episode and getting down to the actual reality of shooting it and how much time you have and how much money you have to do it and what's logistically possible. So, yeah, we're definitely very uh, integrated with um, with, uh, with Canada and then Robert. Uh, um, in those last rewrites. Do the actors come to you with story ideas also? Not really story ideas. More about dialogue. I mean, there's, there's, you know, some, some of them are more uh, uh, involved in, in wanting to sort of own the dialogue themselves and it's sort of as part of their, of their process. They want to kind of discuss certain scenes and, you know, is there a way to either... Um, Know, trim things down to get more to the intention of the scene, or if the intention of the scene isn't quite clear to them, you know, can can we clarify that for them? And um, you know, but it's 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 uh, uh, it's a positive dynamic. I mean, we 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 very rarely have uh, the situation where you're saying you know just no, just say the line. Um, you know, we we generally manage to find uh, the, uh, an easy solution fairly quickly. You know, you were talking about dialogue, and that's really one of Eureka's strengths is the snappy dialogue, and that's something that beginning writing students really struggle with. Is there any advice you can give to these students about how to write tight, snappy dialogue that moves the story forward and shows us the character? Well, look at the show still love, and, um, you know, find the things that you really like about them. And then I always try to say in find your own voice in that. I mean, uh, I, I, I think you, you have to steal from the people that you admire, and you know, ideally you, you give everything your own sort of personal stamp. Um, you know, I, there are so many writers that I, I know I have influenced you know, my voice in the show, and um, you know, luckily I, it, I, I think the show itself has 
become its own animal in a way. Uh, it's, it's a combination of a lot of different things that I've enjoyed, you know, those things. Um, you know, from, from shows like Northern Exposure or, or Friends or you know, Twin Peaks or X-Files to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I mean, uh, you know, there are, there are the, the people that, 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 that write those uh, those shows that had an influence on me, and and I know that everybody on our staff has has their own individual uh, sort of figures that that they have uh, I think learned and pulled from. So you know, I guess in terms of you know, how do you learn to do it? Mm-hmm. Try to mimic. Uh, if, if you if you if you're struggling at first. You know, try try to mimic the people that you like, and then see what works for you and what doesn't, and and expand from there. Great writers steal outright. Yeah. You have to steal, and ideally, you, you steal and you and you make it yours. Um, so it's not outright plagiarism. Hey, I actually, there's a few students who have brought this up with, online. There's been a note going around that you guys are looking for an intern for your writers' room this summer. Has that been filled yet? Uh, I, 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 you know, definitely be talking to the other guys about that. I'm not organizing that one. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm luckily uh, <laughs> able to delegate that to somebody else. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Samantha, your question was already pretty much answered, but Brett had a good one about with so many characters, how do you incorporate all the characters into an episode to fit the story so that the characters aren't just standing there and doing nothing, in other words? How do you work painful. all that out? It's painful. I, it, you know, we have we have so many great characters that we love. Uh, you want to utilize them all the time, but the problem is, as you said, you, you when you have eight or ten people, uh, you, clearly you can't give everybody uh, a full focus, and so you're going to see them lighter in some episodes than others. Um, we try to avoid the, the always having the big Scooby Gang. Uh, ending where everybody is uh, shows up for the big finale, and sometimes that is impossible to avoid. Uh, other times you can make the sort of slightly more personal stories work um, and keep focused on you know just a, a few of our characters. Um, but it's a challenge. We, you know, we 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 have a, a character board up that we have you know all of our character names down one side and all the episodes going across the top and we track what's happening with each character through uh, the season. It's like, you know, okay, when, what, what are they doing here? Uh, let's, let's sort of see what their arc is going to be over the, the, these eight episodes. And if you look up there and you realize, well, okay, we've got three empty spaces next to that particular character's name, we need to sort of figure out what we're going to do with them so that we're not, we're not wasting them. If you were looking for a new writer, say for your for your staff, or to throw an episode out to, what spe- what shows would you like to see spec scripts from that would be like Eureka but obviously different? Um, that is a good question. I, you know, I would I would say shows that do have more of uh, a, a comedic bent. Um, you know, the the hour longs. You know, so we've 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 had some good good writers from shows like Desperate Housewives, um, Six Feet Under, um, 
time. I'm trying to think of weeds is another good example. Eric Eric was just was just pulling weeds out. I think that's another it's another great one. And I, I don't mind that they're if they're cable shows or not. I mean, clearly, you know, we we can't uh, use profanity the way that I would I would love to occasionally. But um, you know, those those shows, uh, Bucky the Vampire Slayer, pretty much anything that Joss has done. Um, what else? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think right now. Contemporary shows that I watch. Um, yeah, Grey's Anatomy or House actually wouldn't even be a bad idea. It, there's a, especially House. There, there is an element to our show that, as I became a fan of House, I realized they, they do also um, fairly consistently, which is you know you, you're presented with a problem, a mystery that 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 character has to solve. And he's absolutely certain that it's this one thing, and then that turns out to be wrong, and then the problem escalates, and then he is now he's absolutely certain that it's this other thing, and that and that tends to generally be a part of the solution, but it's not until something that's happening in the personal storyline for that character or the other characters surfaces. Usually, it's like the secondary character, the patient that he's been treating because he has to go and work in the, the clinic. Uh, that some he gets that pin drop that he realizes that's the answer and he puts those two pieces together and that's the solution to the episode and you know that it, it can be a little formulaic and we try to you know have our episodes be uh, a little bit different um, is from, you know one to the other we've got probably about five different templates that we sort of have used over the last two seasons but in general there is a, a sort of a, a a pattern that of the of the uh, mystery solving that Carter uh, goes through that does sort of reflect that that same kind of dynamic that we have in shows like House. Right, and like House, the idea of the B plot helps solve the A plot by the end of the story is what you're exactly. saying, right? And yeah. that's the, you know you you have you have your A story, you have your B story, and once if, if you can keep them both interesting and clever, but somehow they intersect at a point where uh, they're going to dovetail for the solution at the end, then that's you've done your job. Good. Yeah, and, Jake. You know, and then, and as Eric was just pointing out to me, theme is always very, very critical for us uh, in these episodes. I mean, the big question is always, why are we telling the story? Uh, you know, what, what, what is the theme that is sort of resonating, hopefully, for more than one of our characters, and it's it's being reflected. Uh, on, from the A story to the B story and vice versa. Um, you know, that's 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 a big part of breaking stories in our show. Jamie, thank you because your answers just made me look good because this is what I harp on all semester long. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, I'm glad I can help. Tristan has a good question here about the change. The writer strike has really caused like a I hate to use the the cliche, but a paradigm shift. And pilot seasons, I think NBC's come out already and announced no more pilot season, and I'm pretty sure the other networks are going to climb that that wagon. How do you think shows will get picked up in the future? I mean, Eureka, I hope Eureka has a very, very long run, but I suspect at some point you'll be moving on to something else. You'll create something else. How's that all going to happen? No, I mean, I think a lot of this is going to go to the web as as we've seen already happening, there are a lot of writers um, that have now formed their own little 
groups, companies that are going to be producing content directly for the web on a, uh, a, a more um, creatively free kind of uh, format for them, which gives, you know, where if you have a Google or an Amazon or some big financier that says, okay, we're going to give you a certain amount of money and work within those parameters, but we're not going to uh, constrain you creatively, it's an attractive thing, and people can kind of go and, and, and test the waters, and then that stuff, can, that for the networks, I think, that's, that's, that's a lot easier to take a risk on that, because there's a product that's already been uh, tested to some degree. Um, you know, I, I don't think that the traditional writing of pilot scripts and, and having them, or, or even pitching uh, potential pilots, is completely uh, gone. I, I, I think that it's going to be a shifting dynamic probably for some time. It's you know, nothing completely changes overnight. Um, so you know, I, I, I am developing other shows, and um, you know, those will be at the moment uh, the more traditional. I'm going to go out and I'll pitch the ideas to the people that I want to uh, hopefully work with and uh, write up a treatment. See how see how things go. Okay, Jamie, I think uh, I'm trying to see if there's any more questions. I know you guys got to go. I think... As I say, I, I'll take one more if you, if you want. So i got to go, go actually get this, uh, the script out of the studio. Um, I think everybody's just in thank you mode. If you, unless you wanted to give us any spoilers for the season, like what happens to the sonnet book or, or anything like that. Or if Henry, We've got several students writing spec scripts. They're worried about whether Henry is going to be in a season or not, and I've been assuring them that there's no way you'd get rid of him. Am well, I wrong? We'll find out Henry's fate at the end of the season premiere. Okay. Okay. And, That's me. Um, I think it's going to be surprising. Uh oh. Well, hopefully in a That's good way. All I can say about that. Okay. Well, listen. Thank you so very very much for spending the time with us and inspiring these guys because they're actually a, good, a group of really good writers that unfortunately were isolated in the Midwest, kind of like lost and we're looking for the hatch. So, well, you know, I've met a lot of great writers from the Midwest and uh, you just have to, if you're passionate about it, you just keep working, you keep writing. Um, and, you know, I think that good talent eventually does rise to the surface. So. Um, happy to happy to talk to you guys. Thank you for having the interest in the show and supporting us, man. That's, that's very exciting. Yeah, we love the show. Thank you so much. We show the pilot every semester in the beginning of the semester to the, to the students to talk about pilots. So that's, that, that's so strange because you know, to me that's the weakest episode that we've done. But I'm I'm glad you guys like it. <laughs> it's it 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 is it, it's not your weakest. It's a fun episode. We love it, and it's a great way to intro. We love introducing the, the series to everybody because it does a little of everything. And we always yeah. end up with students writing for it. So you've inspired over 100 students, at least at our university so far. So thank you. Wow. So thank you. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled. That's fantastic. We will, um, I'm going to, we're going to sign off at this point. Uh, please let Eric know we're going to arrange to somehow get some sort of transcript to him, either audio or a link or something. And we're excited to see the show. So thank you so very much to all of you. Hey, thanks, you guys. Um, keep watching and bring some friends back this season. We want to 
expand our, our audience as much as we can so we can write some episodes for a while longer for you guys. Ooh, do you know when the next season's DVD comes out, the second season DVD? July 15th. It's in our calendars. Thanks a lot, Jamie. Good luck. Break away. Right. Thanks a lot. Take care, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye.